RadioInfluence.com. Beware of the enemies within is the topic in this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. Don't know who they are? You will after listening to several renowned guests rip the veil off of several radical factions intent upon stripping us of our freedom and liberty. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. So just who am I talking about? We'll unpack and peel back on communism, Islamic terrorism, our failed educational system, the communist infiltration of the evangelical and Catholic churches, and Black Lives Matter, the fallacy that it is. We'll break down why all of these are threats to the America our founding fathers intended with author, filmmaker, and public speaker Trevor Loudon, a world-renowned authority on communism, national security analyst Brigitte Gabriel, the chairman of Act for America, and Suffolk County, New York Community College political science professor Nicholas Giordano. This podcast is available for download on your favorite podcast platform or on Radio Influence. A great way to show your support is by subscribing to this podcast. Give it a rating and leave a review. And be sure to tell your friends about the broadcast. There was a book that came out from a former FBI agent, W. Cleon Skousen. It was called The Goals of the Naked Communists. And in these goals, he exposed what the game plan was for communists to take over the United States. I was going to read a couple because this is why we're doing this show, because all of the goals that the communists planned are being carried out by the useful idiots, which are non-communist groups on the surface. Goal number 17, get control of the schools, use them as transition belts for socialism, soften the curriculum, get control of teachers associations. Done. Goals number 20 and 21, infiltrate the press, gain control of key positions in radio, television and motion pictures. Done. Goal number 25, break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography in books, magazines, motion pictures, and TV. Boy, did they ever accomplish that one. Goal number 26, present homosexuality, degeneracy, and promiscuity as normal, nature, and healthy. And I have to throw something in, because back in the day before I became a Christian, I was trying to do the Playboy thing and had a Playboy Club key and was into Hugh Hefner and what was going on at the Playboy Club. And I always remembered whenever... Hugh Hefner was interviewed on television and they said, well, Mr. Hefner, what are you, this things you're doing with three women and two guys and this and that and the other thing, his answer was always, it's healthy. Right from this, normal, nature, healthy. Goal number 27, infiltrate the churches and replace reveal religion with social religion. Discredit the Bible. Goal number 28, eliminate prayer in schools on the ground that it violates the principle of separation in church and state. And finally, goal number 40, discredit the family as an institution, encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. Everybody within the sound of my voice, this book was not written three years ago. This book was not written 10 years ago. In fact, this book wasn't even written three decades ago. He wrote this book in 1958. 1958, we were warned about this, and we're going to 
We're going to issue a strong warning once again with my first guest. He's an author, filmmaker, and a public speaker from Christchurch, New Zealand. He's got 30 years of experience researching the radical left's Marxist and terrorist movements and their covert influence on mainstream politics, which I don't think is covert much anymore because they're out in the open. He believes these forces must be exposed and countered as America's continued role as a bastion of freedom is pivotal for the future of Western civilization. He's done many, many movies, books. One of the latest, White House Reds, Communists, Socialists, and Security Risks Running for the U.S. President 2020. And he's got a new movie coming out that he will tell you about. I am very happy to welcome to the show Mr. Trevor Loudon. Hey, Gary, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Uh, same here, Trevor. And, and I, I want to start here. Uh, I feel that America, feel the majority of Americans have no idea that the socialist left, what they're doing, what they're fooling around with. They think this socialism thing is a Che Guevara T-shirt and free stuff. They have no idea this is a covert communist movement. Please explain it to them. Well, the, the look, America has a, had enemies since the revolution. You know, America has been the main impediment to a world socialist state. And that really, uh, so America really came under attack before and after the Bolshevik revolution. The massive penetration of American society in the early 20s, 1920s. It was almost the revolution in America in the 1920s, which, which most people do not understand. And uh, the the, the uh, Attorney General at the time, Palmer, expelled thousands of revolutionaries from America back to the Soviet Union, etc. But you know, that kept on going in, in the 30s and 40s. In the 40s, the communists were pretty much running the FDR administration. They gave us a whole bunch of the social policies we have now. They set up the United Nations and the World Bank and got America to pay for it. And, and this kept going in the 60s. You got a new wave of this with the anti-Vietnam War, Vietnam War people. And those communists who supported the Viet Cong during the 60s and 70s are now the people running our motion picture studios. They're running the Democratic Party. They are running a holiday. They are running most of the media, most of the universities. So even though communism supposedly collapsed in the nineties, it is now more endemic and more dangerous and more powerful than it ever has been. It's it's like like um, say you know you call communism a tumor. And say you have a tumor in your body and you cut ninety percent of it out. As we, as Reagan did back in the nine, in the eighties, you cut ninety percent of it, but then you stop all treatment for thirty years. What are you? What's your body going to look like? And that's where we are now. We are, we are closer to communism now than we ever have been at any time in our history. It, it, it's so close now; you can just about taste it. That is a very, very, very scary thought. And, you know, the, the sad thing is most people don't realize it. You know, you've been a guest with me on shows for a couple of years now, and you have been sounding this alarm for decades. And 
it's almost like people don't believe it. They think, okay, this is conspiracy theory. They don't see it. What is the problem with this? Why the American people aren't able to pick this up? It's a very simple thing. Go on the Communist Party USA or any communist uh, uh, website, look at what they're promoting, then go over to the Democratic Party website and look what their agenda is, and they line up. There, there is no difference now. You know, if you want to know what the Democrats are going to do tomorrow, read the Communist Party USA website today. You know, see, this is this thing people need to realize. The old Soviet Union had a lot of influence in America, but they never had a lot of money. They were always broke. Well, the Chinese Communist Party has money. So they have used their money to promote communism and get into areas that the old, the old Soviets couldn't do. You know, Radcliffe, Trump's intelligence advisor, he said uh, about a year ago, he said the Communist Party of China has influenced and blackmailed and taken control of so many American congressmen, they can determine which legislation goes through the U.S. Congress and which doesn't. You know, in the Biden administration, you have, if not hundreds, 10 scores of, you know, people in high, high positions with deep connections to communist China. You know, for, for, I'll give you one example. You know, Deb Haaland, who's now the Secretary of the Interior, a second-term congressman from New Mexico who nobody ever heard of. Well, the head of the communist, one of the leaders of the Communist Party USA, which is pro-China, Judith LeBlanc, started a campaign, Deb for the Interior, and she got Cher and Mark Ruffalo and Gloria Steinem and Sarah Silverman to start this big campaign to push Biden to put this woman, Deb Haaland, a Marxist, into that position, and they succeeded. And that woman now has control of 20% of America's landmass all of the mining on public land, all of the energy extraction, the ranching, border areas, Native American reservations, you name it. That woman now controls essentially 20% of America and was put in place by the Communist Party of China, which uh, by the Communist Party USA, which is a subsidiary of the Communist Party of China. That's how much power they have in this country right now. Uh, this is very scary stuff. Uh, Trevor, one of the things that uh, I think we we need to go back and explain why we're in this rabbit hole, why, why the world actually went down this rabbit hole. And my quick synopsis is like after after World War, after Hitler was defeated. Everybody was kicked out of Germany that was a Nazi. They, de, they de, as you called it, they denazified Germany. And there were the trials at Nuremberg. All the records were read. All the war crimes committed were were atoned for, and they were like thrown out. But well, like they, that never they, happened. They, they, execu- they executed multiple people right. too. Right, but that never happened with the KGB. That never happened with Russia. And all they just did was just put a new face on it. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. You're exactly right. You know, that communism was never defeated. It was pushed back by Reagan. It was forced into a strategic retreat. 
And then we all thought, then, then the American leadership thought, well, now Russia's gone. We, you know, we can be friends with communist China because they're really, they want business. They really want to be like us. So let's just give all of our industry to communist China. Let's, let's just, you know, get rid of all those big union factories in the Midwest, send it all to China, give our supply chains to China, let them manufacture our drugs, let them into our universities to steal our technology, let them infiltrate this country, and we'll all live happily ever after. And China will become democratic like America. Well, now China has a navy bigger than America. It has compromised our politicians. Their Black Lives Matter protesters, and that's a, that's a Chinese operation. Black Lives Matter. We're going to get into that. Cities. They have they have stolen an election, and now they are challenging. Basically, they're on the verge of taking over South Korea. They're threatening all our allies in the Far East, and they're getting ready to attack America. What a brilliant move it was to bring China, Communist Party of China, into the World Trade Organization, etc. Because now they're on the verge of, of destroying this country. Yeah, this is, as I said, this is why we're doing the show about the enemies within, because we are being destroyed from within. There are quite a few enemies. And then we have Islam and the terrorists. As you said, Black Lives Matter. We're going to get into the infiltration of the evangelical church and the Catholic church. You have the, We have uh, other guests coming on to talk about the Marxist educational system. And that's one of the reasons that globalism is being pushed around the country. But before, around the world, I should say, but before we go any further, there are people saying, boy, this guy, he's either telling the truth and scaring the heck out of me, or, you know, he's, he's full of it. Like a lot of people thought McCarthy was. So before we go any further, I think it's, I think you should tell the people who you are and why you know what you know for people. Some, if there are a few that haven't heard of you to understand that you're a man of impeccable credentials. Well, look, I've been doing this for a lot of years. I come from New Zealand. And, um, you know, right way back, you know, Glenn Beck used a lot of my information in his chalkboards. I was the guy who discovered the connection between Frank Marshall Davis, the Hawaiian communist who mentored Barack Obama. I exposed Van Jones, the communist group, Obama's communist green jobs are, and got him kicked out of the, and Glenn Beck got him kicked out of the White House. So I've written multiple books. I've uh, did a, a movie, Enemies Within, in 2016, which would have a, had over two million views on Amazon Prime. Um, I've lectured all over the country. You don't come to a, a foreign country and 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 say as I do that you, at least a hundred members of your Congress couldn't pass a background check to drive a school bus. But there are no background checks in Congress, just just be clear about that. And and without proof, without evidence, you wouldn't last very long. But I've been doing this for over a dozen years now. And I've called out hundreds of communists, many of them congressmen and senators, and not one of them has ever pushed back on a point of fact. Well, 
you can't push back if it's the truth. So since you start went there, let's go here. White House Reds, communists, socialists, and security risks running for the U.S. president 2020. I have my signed copy. Thank you very much. And please tell people about why you wrote that book and give them a synopsis about what is in it. Well, see, the beginning of 20, uh, and uh, my cutoff point was um, January the 1st, 2020. And at that point, there were 11 major Democrats still running. So I wrote a book profiling them, and I said, of those 11, 10 were Marxists. The only one who wasn't was um, Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York, and he loves China like a chocolate. So he may as well have been a Marxist, but he's not. He's more of a business elitist type of guy. But I go into the communist backgrounds of Joe Biden, which is extensive. Uh, he is no moderate at all, never has been. Uh, communist backgrounds of, of Tulsi Gabbard, who a lot of a lot of uh, conservatives admire. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, Mrs. Nice from Minnesota, has an extensive Marxist background. So did Senator Cory Booker. Um, you know, all of of the eleven running at the time, ten were Marxists. Pete Buttigieg as well. So, and who's now Secretary of Transportation? I want please to tell people who Pete Buttigieg's father is. Mile. Please tell well, people who his father is. Yeah, Pete. Pete Buttigieg's father, see, the, the leading communist really in the world today, the, the one whose philosophy is most dominant was Antonio Gramsci, who, who's been dead for a long time, but he was a, the theoretician of the Italian Communist Party in the 20s and the 30s. He died in one of Mussolini's jails. And um, he, he basically turned communism on its ear. He said, the old, the old Leninist theory, the workers are going to rise up, destroy the bosses. That's not really efficient. It's not really, it doesn't really work in Western European and American society. So what you've got to do is infiltrate the institutions. You've got to infiltrate the church. You're going to infiltrate the media, entertainment, um, sport, the military, every, the church, every every aspect of society and condition the people into communism. The Bernie bros, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters, they are Gramsci's grandchildren, right? They, that's, and so they've got into every facet, the education system, the churches, to bring us to socialism through the back door. Now, Ber- Pete Buttigieg's father was the world's leading scholar on Gramsci. He was president of the International Gramsci Society. You know, when when Pete was a young man, he wrote an article, won a nationwide um, nationwide essay competition on his socialist hero, Bernie Sanders. He was on the Democratic Socialists of America mailing list as a young man. He worked with the Communist Party, Democratic Socialists of America, and other Marxists all the time. He was mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He implemented their policies. He supported their strikes. Even on the campaign trail, he was supporting Democratic Socialists of America strikes um, out in Cape Cod, a bus driver's strike out there. The man is a complete Marxist, and now he wants to tax you for every mile you drive in your car because communists don't like cars. It gives people freedom freedom and mobility. They want everybody on public transport, eating mung beans for breakfast, 
going on the train to the co-op where you work all day for, for a pittance. That's what they want, and Pete's really keen to implement it. I hear what you're saying. And, you know, we've been using this word Marxist, and I think, to, in fairness to all listeners, I'd like you to uh, please address what a Marxist is, because we use terms Marxist, socialist, progressive, radical, leftist, and maybe people think they have a general idea of what they think it is, but they really need to hunker down and understand what Karl Marx started. So please explain to people when you use the term Marxist, what a Marxist is and what makes Marxist, socialists and communists, you know, all forms of progressivism, what the difference is between them. Well, see, from a, like a Christian would say that we were given three forms three institutions to govern our lives, the family, the church, and the government. And that's all predicated, you know, the American system is predicated on the fact that, you know, that your rights come from God, not the government. So you have a, a godly system, you have family, strong families, a strong church, and a, and a just civil government. That's the ideal society you know, from a Christian perspective. Marx wanted to overthrow all of that. He wanted to overthrow and abolish the family. He wanted to overthrow and abolish civil government and establish a dictatorship of the proletariat. And he wanted to overthrow the church, you know, to basically, um, you know, to, to make the Communist Party God on earth. So all of the main institutions that keep us stable, keep us in good shape, Marx wanted to overthrow. Now, you see the family under attack from the LBGTQ movement. That's Marxism. You see the government under attack from Black Lives Matter, from, you know, the the raving unconstitutional stuff that's coming out of the Democratic Party. That's Marxism. You see the, the, the church under attack from the woke movement, so critical race theory, social justice. That's all Marxism. So Marx was all about overthrowing the natural God-given systems of life and establishing what would really be a satanic dictatorship on earth. You know, people think Marxism is all about, you know, establishing a system where the wealth is all shared equally and that kind of thing. That's just bait and switch. That's just to suck people into supporting the movement. What Marxism was all about was establishing a worldwide dictatorship of complete centralization of all wealth and all power in a very few hands. And we see with the current move to basically overthrow the US Constitution, to get everybody on government welfare, to destroy the private sector, um, to neutralize the churches, etc. That is Marxism. We're in a Marxist revolution right now. And how does communism fit in? Because I know some people are saying, okay, I don't hear them saying they're communists yet, except like Bolshevik, Bill de Blasio, or a few people. But yeah. so you got them saying, okay, we're socialists or we're democratic socialists, which don't doesn't really exist, but because you can't be a socialist and democratic about it. But so how do the do we get from the ideology of Marxism to the implementation of socialism, which I contend is the bridge to communism in a country where you yeah. have freedom in a constitution? Well, 
Well, I'll just correct you slightly there on democratic socialism because, see, see, democratic means something very different to communists. Mm-hmm. Democratic means the will of the people. But who are the representatives of the people? The Communist Party is the representatives of the people. So de- democracy to a communist means rule by the Communist Party. So we talk about democracy, we think it means representative government, rule of law, you know, all the things, you know, all the things that make us free. Democracy to a communist is control by the Communist Party because that's the will of the people and they are the representatives of the people. That's that's the difference. That's how, that's how Ocasio-Cortez, who is a communist, can say she's a democratic socialist. So social, oh, this is how I analogize it, you know. Um, Stage, like cancer, you've got four stages of cancer. You've got stage one is liberalism. You've got a little bit of government control. You know, a little bit of, you know, because it's like, can- communism is like a, a cancer on the body, on the, on politics. It's a leech. It's draining you. It's it's eating you alive. Next stage, you know, progressivism, that's more government. That's more control. That's more limitation of freedom. Socialism is when the government is really taking a lot more control. It controls most aspects of your life. That's like stage three cancer. Stage four cancer is communism. That kills you. That that's that's in that, your body is ravaged, everything is shut down, you your body's been drained of nutrients. See see the communists will tell you even in the Soviet Union in China, they don't call themselves communists. They're socialists because they're about government control over all, all aspects of your life. And the myth of Marxism is that when you've got to that socialist state and, and wealth has been redistributed and the government controls everything, then the state is going to wither away to nothing. And we're all going to live communally and sharing the wealth. That will never happen. It is never going to happen. Even the communists don't believe it'll happen. It only ever gets to socialism where the government controls everything. Can you imagine a scenario where people take control of a country, they have every bit of wealth in their hands, they dictate everything they want, they're completely in control, you are their slave, and then they decide, or we're going to give it all back to you now. We're going to back off. We're going to give up our palaces. We're going to give up our Mercedes. We're going to give up our concubines. And we're going to give it all back to the people. Can you ever imagine that scenario actually happening? If you no, they're going, to, they're, going to put you against a, no, they're going to put you against the wall like Mao did and shoot you. Yeah, exactly. You, you buck the system, you die. You starve, you, they shoot you, they put you in a labor camp. So there is no communist. The, com, the Communist Party doesn't even believe in communism. They just believe in socialism where they have complete power over you. They can dictate everything about your life. You're a slave to them. That's as far as it ever gets. It never will go to that communist stage because that is so opposed to human nature. You know, it's like the mafia taking control of New York and amassing billions and billions of dollars, then saying, right, we're rich. We're going to give all this money back to the people and share it evenly, and everybody's going to live happily. Can you imagine the mafia doing that? 
No, and I can't imagine what we're seeing, but we saw it in Cuba, we see it in Venezuela, we've seen it all around the world. Please explain this to me because you're a world traveler. I want to let people know that now you live in the United States. Okay, but you're a world traveler and you've been around this country and you've talked to people and you lecture. And here's what I don't get. Lenin called them useful idiots because they think it's about their issues. But, you know, there, there aren't that many real true communists. They 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 use these useful idiots to car- carry the, the, the message to the people. Now, the thing I don't understand, Trevor, is these people that carry the message, they think they're going to share in this wealth. Why would they why would they think that? Why don't they understand that it's only the elite that get to share in the wealth and you don't get it? You're not going to be a part of that. Why do they all think they're going to be among the elite ruling class that you just explained it? It's never happened in any country. Why would they think it's going to happen that way here? Uh, uh, Because it's going to be different next time. Look, this is, this is what, you know, you talk to an American communist, and this is what they say. See, there's levels of this. There are people who really believe this stuff. They, they, they uh, you know, communism's all about envy and greed. And a lot of people have resentment. You know, they, they think they're picked on because of their race, or they think they really deserve a better job, or they really haven't had good opportunities in life. So they're resentful, and they resent the fact that people do better than them. So the communists feed on that. Why, you know, you, you should be taking the wealth of those people. They have ripped you off. They exploit you. So there's that level, you know, people who who are resentful. There are people who are idealistic, who really believe that we'll have this anti-racist, anti-classist, collectivist society. Any movement has suckers, right, who will promote the movement because of various reasons. The the, the top guys, uh, you really, if you really want to understand communism, read Milton's Paradise Lost, the great a poem by by the famous British poet Milton, when he talked about why Satan left heaven, why Satan left heaven, you know, Satan was there as one of God's angels. You know, he was in heaven. He was at God's side. Mm -hmm. But he left because he would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. His ego was so strong, he would rather rule slaves in hell than servant God's side in heaven. So you, these, these are people who are just about power. Anybody who's been to high school knows there are bullies, the people who just love picking on other people. Well, communism gives these people a vehicle to power. So you get the very worst of humanity rising to the top and controlling everybody else. But the, the other argument they make for the suckers um, is the communists will tell you, they'll say, well, yes, it's failed in Russia. Yes, it's been hard in China. But look how, you know, yes, it's been bad in Venezuela. Cuba is starving. Yes. Why? Because America did it to them. America bankrupted Russia with an arms race. America's been blockading Cuba. America's been blockading Venezuela. America blockaded China for a long time. Therefore, if we want communism, we have to get rid of America. America is the roadblock 
See, if you read the communist publications, they hardly talk about the communist future. All they talk about is destroying America and Israel. That, that's their goal. Their goal now is to destroy America, and they'll sort out the rest afterwards. You're so right the whole that. communist movement, which is Black Lives Matter, which is the LBGTQ movement, which is the Women's March, the environmental movement, most of Hollywood, most of the Democratic Party, all it is trying to do is bring America to its knees to the benefit of China so China can rule the world and impose communism worldwide. You know, Trevor, as you're speaking, I was just shaking my head here because I've lived through this. First off, the joke is going to be on Lucifer, on Satan, because he's not going to be ruling slaves in hell. He's going to be tortured in hell. So the joke's on him there. But as you were talking, I lived some of these things because as a black American and somebody who prior to becoming born again and follow Jesus Christ was a Democrat until 1997, once I changed and started trying to show black friends of mine what's really going on and why you cannot support this party. There are two things, two vivid examples of what you just said. One was with a professional person. Both of these are college-educated black men. One, I gave him Curtis Bauer's movie, Agenda, Grinding America Down. No, wrong one. Agenda, Master, Agenda 2, Masters of Deceit, which you're in. Because I was trying to right. explain what socialism is. He watched the movie before he didn't think he was a socialist. He actually, after watching the movie, said to me, well, you've proven to me I am a socialist and I may not be able to get a bigger piece of the pie. But if socialism is going to bring the white man down and bring some people down a a few knocks, that's good for me. The other one actually said to me, actually said to me, I swear, this is exactly what he said. He goes, well, I'd rather live under communism than support a racist like Trump. That's for damn sure. Exactly what you just said. That is the yeah, attitude. Yeah. That is the attitude. And, and in that movie, Agenda 2, Masters of Deceit, you said this about the useful idiots, as we call them, the Democratic Party. And your quote was, and now the Marxists through the unions have completely taken over the higher reaches of the Democratic Party. You've got all these loyal Democrats out there, good patriotic people who still think they're voting for Harry Truman and JFK. Look, by the standards of today, do you think Harry Truman or JFK would have a chance in today's Democratic Party? Those guys today probably would be in the Tea Party. Yet their party is now run by communists and all these loyal Democrats all over the country are still voting on party lines and basically voting for Marxists and anti-Americans because they do not understand their party has been taken over. Trevor, please tell me this is changing. Well, look, I go out there and I speak all over the country and this is what's happening. Sometimes you almost have to lose something before you appreciate it, you know. And that's what's happening in America. You've had people sitting at home for a year reading their kids' school textbooks and horrified. They're watching their cities burn and no consequences. They saw an election stolen. You are seeing a mobilization out there of young people, middle-aged people, joining new groups, getting involved in the Republican Party, fighting critical race theory, taking back their churches. This is bigger than the Tea Party, but it isn't getting much publicity. 
and it's a much younger demographic. I'm seeing new groups starting all over the country to fight back. So, yeah, I, I, I think there is a very positive thing going on here. This is a race. Who's going to win? Are the communists going to win or the patriots? And it's up to every one of us to decide right now which side we're on and get involved in whichever side we support. And I'd tell you straight, if most Americans really know, uh, really given a choice and really have a choice between the Constitution and communism, I know which way they will go. And we are seeing that happen right now. The Democrats are freaking out. They know they're going to be slaughtered in the next election, which makes me worried that they may try some major incident or allow a terrorist attack or whatever to really clamp down. So there is no 2022 election. But we are seeing a resurgence in this country like we have never seen before. And that is very heartening to me. I hear you, but is it coming from people on the left? See, I noticed a lot of Republicans or never Trumpers are people that weren't getting involved politically. You have Christians that don't think that they should mix with uh, politics. And you have people that just were going about raising their kids, being good fathers and mothers, living their lives, and just never got involved. Those people I understand are waking up. We need that 10 to 18% of Democrats to switch sides. Are those people- we, we We are seeing a lot of Democrats switch sides. That's Absolutely. Look, I live in Florida, and people are worried down here because all these northern Democrats are moving into the state. I tell you what, most of those Norman Demo- northern Democrats uh, are, are switching to Republican when they get here. You know, you are, you are seeing. This is why the borders are wide open, because the Democrats know they've destroyed much of their own base. They're driving their own people out with their extreme policies. That's why they're trying to bring tens of millions of new Democrats across the border to counter that. You know, you just brought up something, Trevor, that I've always wondered about and I've never asked anybody why this occurs. Why is it that people will leave a bad state like California or New York Democrats will leave a bad state where the taxes are too high and where all the Marxist socialist type policies end up driving them out of a state. So they move to a red state or they move to Texas or they move someplace where, you know, you have, you know, capitalism is flourishing and they come and want to turn that state blue. Why do they do that? Well, because they don't connect the disaster they're leaving was the voting they've done. They don't understand. They just see, well, California's getting really expensive now. That's probably because the Republicans are ripping us off. That's probably because big business is, is just ripping everybody off. They don't connect it to the socialism they voted for. But I, And that was the first way of people moving out of California who went to Idaho and Colorado, et cetera, and, and have shifted the politics of those states. But I, I, now it is more people who are leaving because they understand what has happened. And a lot more of the Democrats moving into Texas now and Tennessee and Florida, they're, they're changing their politics when they leave. 
So it's not yeah. it's not quite as bad as we we think. You know that every everybody from New Jersey who comes from Florida is going to vote Democrat today. It, it ain't that way. Yes, some of them do. Look, but I I know lots of ex Democrats in Florida who come down from New Jersey or Ohio or New York, and they came here for freedom, and they're going to vote for freedom. They love Ron DeSantis like a chocolate, and they're gonna they're gonna vote the right way. So it isn't quite as bad as we think on that on that front. Um, so so um, you know we have a fighting chance in the next election. And what heartens me too, see the rhino wing and, and the rhinos. And what I mean by that is the Republicans in name only, the right. weak Bush type Republicans who only care about business, don't care about the country perfectly fine to be in bed with communist China as long as they can make money. They are on the retreat now. The Mitch McConnell, the Jeb Bush wing of the party, they are on the retreat. The grassroots all over the country are taking over the GOP and shaking it up and turning it into a, a MAGA party, a, a Make America Great Again party, an America First party. And even now on the RNC, the Republican National Committee, 70% of the RNC now are MAGA people, Tea Party people. They're not the old guard. So 2022 and the Trump movement, that is the chance to completely reshake up the Republican Party and restore it to its roots and bring this country back on track. We're on the verge of great things here. This is not the time to give up. This is the time to double down. You know, the left want to bluff us out and make us give up. They want to make it look like they've won. They haven't won. They're in, they're in the driver's seat right now, but that could easily change if we stay the course. Trevor, you're on fire as normal. Before I let you go, there are two topics that must be addressed because, to me, these have risen to the forefront of the problem in this country. One is very visible and the other, I think, is more covert, but I know you're gonna rip the veil off them. Please explain what happened when Donald Trump became president that escalated the infiltration of the evangelical and Catholic churches towards social justice and Marxism and what is known as Black Lives Matter and why it's not about Black Lives Matter, it's about communist ideology matters. Yeah, well, look, look um, the, the churches have been penetrated by communists in this country since the 1920s. The very first communist front in America was the Methodist Committee for Social Action. In the 1920s, because the communists knew the churches were the backbone of America and they couldn't take America from the outside, so they had to, to destroy us from the inside. So the 20s and the 30s, they largely took over the mainstream churches, um, turned them into social justice churches, and that drove a lot of people out into the evangelical movement. Um, they put a lot of um, young communists into the priesthood and the Catholic Church in the 1930s. And by the time Vatican II came around in the early 60s, the big liberal drift in the Catholic Church, a lot of those young communists were, were bishops, even cardinals. And, and now you have a, a Marxist pope and Pope Francis. So, but what, what happened 
while the communists took over virtually every institution in American society, they never had the evangelicals or the Southern Baptists. And these crazy evangelicals were the people who voted for Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. And Reagan pushed the communists back a lot of years. Trump pushed the communists back a lot as well. And so they really determined, especially in the last few years, the communists really determined to take over the evangelical churches. And they did this through the Gospel Coalition, um, Sojourners, and other organizations. You know, people like Tim Keller, who's a respected mm-hmm. Christian, a, mar- a Marxist, you know, who has done a lot of work pushing the evangelical churches to the left. Because the idea is very simple. We can't have another Trump. We can't have another right-wing anti-communist president. So we've got to take the churches over to get them to vote for the left, to get them in the Democratic Party fold. So that has been a major push. And uh, through social justice, critical race theory, which is just pure Marxism applied to race rather than class, you know, refugee resettlement, all these Marxist things, they are now all through the evangelical churches and they're pushing the young pastors into the left. Uh, The Bible colleges and seminaries in this country are where the universities were 10 years ago. They're not quite all communist, but most of them are. And so uh, we've we've done a movie, Enemies Within the Church, which is going to be released at the end of this month, exposing the massive communist Marxist infiltration of the churches. What they call the woke movement is Marxism, right? Woke churches yeah. are mm. Marxist churches. And people need to be really woke to this. And so our movie is going to do this because if we lose the churches, we lose America, and and we are we are in big trouble in the churches right now. Most American churches do not teach Christianity; they teach a disguised form of Marxism in the form of social justice, critical race theory, etc. Even the Southern Baptists now, under J. D. Greer and Russell Moore and people like that, have got a massive amount of Marxism in their in their system. And, you know, you're, you're so right about that. Uh, I, as I said, I watched you do a presentation last night in which you really broke this down. And along those same lie, lines, please explain to people why Black Lives Matter has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. Yeah. <laughs> as, I, as we all say, all lives matter. Doesn't matter Amen. what you what your background, you matter. You're a children of, you're a child of God, you matter. But Black Lives Matter is run by Maoist communists from Liberation Road. It used to be called the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. It works for China. The Black Lives Matter, um, Alicia Garza, what the, one of the founders was, they're all Marxists who founded it. They, they're openly Marxists. They have links to East German communists, to the Venezuelans, to the Cubans, to Palestinian terrorists. But they, uh, their main connection is to China. And Alicia Garza's best friend, Alex Tom, they were student radicals together at UC San Diego in the, in the 90s. 
He, he for many years ran the Chinese Progressive Association of San Francisco. It's a big voter registration organization that really runs that town. And uh, it's a front for the Communist Party of China. I have Alex Tom on tape boasting about his deep ties to the Communist Party, how he runs his messaging past the Chinese consulate in San Francisco before he does anything. Well, Alex Tom set up Asians for Black Lives, which is the guiding force behind Black Lives Matter. They wrote their manual for Black Lives Matter. They connected the Black Lives Matter activists to pro-Chinese networks all over the country. And when they are the people who burnt Ferguson, Missouri to the ground in 2014, that was preparation for 2020. And when um, Alec, when uh, the guy was killed, uh, what's George Floyd was George killed Floyd. in Minnesota, George Floyd. Well, look, that was going to happen no matter what. They tried to start the rioting when the young black man was killed, the so-called jogger in Atlanta. They tried to start it again when Breonna Taylor, a young black woman, was killed in a no-knock police raid in Louisville, Kentucky. And George Floyd was just the spark, the, the kindling was already in place. They knew that 1,100 people get killed by the police every year. About 10 to 15% of those are going to be black or Latino. They knew they were going to get an incident. They were all ready. They were all poised. And as soon as the George Floyd thing hit, they went for it. But it would have happened in Dallas the week after or Miami the week after that, or whatever. It was just the spark they needed, but the fire was ready to go. And it was all time for election year. It was all time to bring down President Trump and designed to energize young black and Latino kids to vote for the Democratic ticket in 2020. That was what it was all about, and it was all orchestrated by the communist Chinese. And everybody that's listening to us, please understand, go on the Black Lives Matter website and look at what they're about. And you'll see them, not only their Marxist ties, but you'll see their anti-nuclear family, which means one mother and one father. Uh, all, all the stuff that they're about, exactly what the communists want to break down. Charles Marx wanted to break down the family, take away our guns. Notice what Black Lives Matter is all about. Just go on their website, educate yourself, because Trevor has just told you the truth. Trevor, I have to say this every time you come on, and this is a Final question. Every time you come on, you give people so much knowledge and you have people on top of the bridge getting ready to jump off. So now, can you please, <laughs> please, please surprise, supply some solutions. What can we do to look, save our country look, and take it back? The first thing we're going to do is face reality. Trump's not coming back next month. You know, the, Ch the Chinese communists are basically in control now. What we have is 80 million Trump voters, 20 million more who wish they had been Trump voters, and God, right? That's, that's our army. That's a pretty darn good army. We are the majority. So I wrote an article for the Epoch Times, and I hope people will look this article up. It's, it's all over the internet. A New Zealander's nine starter steps for saving America from socialism. It went everywhere. First step, face reality. But then I give a whole bunch of other steps that we can do as individuals or at a state level to turn this around. 
And one of the steps I call on, this is already happening, you, you know, um, so with the COVID vaccines, 20 states have banded together, are banding together now to say there will be no COVID passports in our states. There will be no mandatory vaccines. We have to build, bring the free states together to all improve their election integrity, to all stand against the federal government, to all say no more. This is not secession. This is the 10th Amendment. The 10th Amendment of the Constitution guarantees the states a free form of government. And that they have the power to do everything in their states except those few, very few powers delegated to the federal government. Well, those states have got to get off the federal government's, um, you know, bandwagon, you know, taking all federal government money, band together and say, you do not come for our guns. You do not come for our religious liberties. You do not come for our freedom of speech and you do not interfere in our elections. We've all got to back the state governors who are making that stand, like Ron DeSantis in Florida, for instance, like Christy Nome in South Dakota. They are all banding together. We have to boycott everything that comes out of the Communist Party of China. We have to be getting organized now, signing up everybody we can for the Republican primaries in 2022 so we completely annihilate the rhino wing of the GOP and and prepare the way for either a Trump victory or a DeSantis victory or a Pompeo victory in 2024. Look, there's nine points. Please go find that article in New Zealand. There's nine starter steps for saving America from socialism. And there's a whole bunch of things that you can do as an individual and a whole bunch of things you can work to promote at state level. I think you'll find it a good starting point. And look, get involved in your school. One of the top things is win back your school board. Take over your local school board because many states allow the school board to set the curriculum, not the superintendent of education. So all you got to do is take over your school board, throw out the curriculum and put in a Hillsdale College curriculum or a homeschooling curriculum where kids learn real math, real science, real history. Your, your county, if you do that, will become the richest county in your state as everybody wants to move into your school district and get the real estate companies to fund your campaign because they're going to make millions of dollars when people move into your district. So there are many, many things that can be done, but I recommend people um, get that article and New Zealanders nine starter steps for saving America from socialism. Just Google it. It won't be hard to find uh, Trevor, thank you very much. And thank you so much for coming on and just enlightening people to what's really going on to more than one. And in fact, a bevy of enemies within, which I'm so sorry to have to say people are very prevalent in our country. We've got to stop this right here, right now. Please tell people how to reach you and about your films and your books or anything else you want to promote. Yeah, go to trevorloudon.com. I have a great movie, Enemies Within, which has been seen by over 2 million people on Amazon Prime. Um, I have a, 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 store on my, a store on my website, trevorloudon.com, where you can order my books. You can order White House Reds, 
um, and several other books that I've written. Um, and on the website, too, you'll see a portal that goes to enemies within the church where you can order pre-order copies of that as well. That's going to be coming out very soon. But trevorloudon.com, Loudon is spelled L-O-U-D-O-N. But don't try and Google that because Google has forgotten my IP address. Just put trevorloudon.com in the search bar at the top of the page and bring it up that way. Okay. Trevor Loudon, thank you very much. Continue to take the fight to them because we need more warriors like you. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, sir. Always always a pleasure, Gary. Great to great to talk to you. Same here. Trevor Loudon, everybody. This man knows what he's talking about. I really hope you understand what he has given you in one hour. He has given you so much information. So this is something that I hope you'll take to your friends, to people in your circles of influence, because if you don't know the issues and if you don't know the trouble this country is in and why he just gave you the information, let them hear this. And I guarantee you it's going to open some eyes, open some ears and change some votes. When you're watching your TV and you're looking around and seeing in in Muslim countries, they're saying death to America. That has nothing to do with Donald Trump, people. They were saying that before Donald Trump. Bill Clinton was president. Obama was president. George Bush was president. There's something different going on here, and it has been a major problem in this country and will remain a major problem, and it's an enemy from within that we actually really need to understand because a happy face is being put on Islamic terrorism and Islam as a religion instead of really as a political ideology. And we're gonna get into that right now with a woman that I would, if I'm in a foxhole, I want Bridget Gabriel in that foxhole with me. Now, can you imagine being 10 years old and you're wounded and buried under a pile of rubble in your home in Lebanon, where she was living. The product of rockets exploding within the dwelling. And then you end up with your family spending the next seven years surviving in a bomb shelter underground eight by 10. Now, you just think about that. Let that sink in. That's how Brigitte Gabriel started. But that's not where she ended. She's everything you can imagine, a mother, keynote speaker, a lecturer, chairman of the largest national security grassroots organization in the United States, Act for America. You've seen her all over Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, radio here, radio there. She has done everything and really is zeroed in on one of the major problems we have in this nation, which she really wants to talk about. She's a national security analyst. She's a best-selling author in the New York Times. And as I said before, chairman of Act for America, her latest bestseller is entitled Rise. I'm glad to bring to the show Brigitte Gabriel. Thank you, Gary. I'm delighted to be with you. I'm delighted to be with you, Brigitte. And let's just get right down to it. Uh, Do we have a problem in this country with terrorism and is the way we are looking at the Middle East 
and what their intentions are for world dominance or what they plan for the United States. Are, are, are people sleeping on this? We have a problem in America not understanding our enemy and reflecting our values, our Western values on evil people. And trying to avoid uncomfortable subject. And when we are talking about terrorism, and especially now that we just celebrated or memorized, the, uh, uh, remembered the 20th anniversary of 9-11, the one missing element that nobody wanted to talk about in our media, no one, even if they replayed different uh, images of the World Trade Center or different clips, the one thing no one talked about is what the hijackers screamed the words Allahu Akbar and how many times they repeated them. Actually, some of them edited those words out. It's like we are avoiding, we want to talk about 9-11, but nobody wants to talk about the ideology that these terrorists that attacked us on 9-11 adhere to. Because we have been so uh, desensitized in this country and attacked and called bigots for even questioning the ideology or even wanting to talk about the ideology that now no one wants to talk about it. So here we are, we celebrated the 20th anniversary of 9-11. A lot of our children today, if you are 25 years or younger, you have no remembrance of 9-11, you have no recollection of it. You have no idea why did the people attack us, what drove them to attack us, what was their ideology? So we are not even educating history the way it's supposed to be taught right now. And that's a crime against our country and against our safety and security because we it threatens our stability, our safety, and our security for generations to come. Well, this is true. And people are saying, OK, I hear you, but tell them what the threat is. Because, see, it's, it's, it's really interesting Praise God, we haven't had a major hit again, but because it hasn't happened, it's, it's, it's like people think that the threat is no longer and, you know, everybody's all just happy, just can we all just get along? And believe me, it's nothing further from the truth. Well, the last terrorist attack happened in New York. Remember the terrorist who drove his car on the car. sidewalk and killed yes. people? Mm -hmm. But somehow in the rest of the country, you know, I mean, it barely made the news. You know, it was like I mentioned one night when it happened, it was big news, and then that was it. And so we have gotten to, to, into this pattern. And actually, the reason why we have not had any more terrorist attacks since President Trump became president is because he really put the kibosh on anything. He understood the problem. He understood what needed to be done. And you know what? Winning your war against your enemy is 50% perception. So under Trump, our enemies understood if you do anything, you will be crushed. He's going to come after you and crush you, whether it was a domestic enemy and war, whether it was a foreign enemy. And with President Trump wiping ISIS and, of course, Al-Qaeda, there was nothing more they can really plan. I mean, we literally have crushed them after all the war. It wasn't until now Biden came into power and basically brought back the Taliban 
Taliban who have just established uh, a, a caliphate in Islamic State, basically that's going to replace ISIS, and they renamed their state the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, which is the exact same name of the Taliban government that the Taliban used to have back in 2001 when we went in uh, and basically uh, crushed them. So that's the reason why we have not had terrorist attacks in the United States. But again, it's the ideology that nobody wants to talk about. It's the radical Islamic ideology that drives these people. And it's the ideology that says that the world would be at war with non-Muslims until the day of judgment. Under Islam, the Islam divided the world into two, Dar al-Harb and Dar al-Islam. Dar al-Harb is the house of war, which means the, the land that, that Muslims are going to be at war with until they are conquered into Islam, and Dar al-Salam, which is the, the house of Islam. So uh, this is why jihadists are driven by this ideology. Uh, they can lie. They can change their tone to get whatever they want to serve their cause. Uh, meanwhile, they are using the leftists in the West as the useful idiots who are basically carrying the water for them. This is true. It's scary. But boy, most people don't get this in America. The government, the FBI, a lot of all the the the, the, the the uh, Congress, White House, all kind of people. You know, you listen, you look at the squad, and you listen to the type of things that they say, and and just people. I don't think they just go, "That's nice," but they're not taking this seriously enough. Why aren't they? And how serious a problem is this in the United States? And, and with this infiltration, how deep is it? Well, the elected officials are not taking it seriously because they don't hear enough from the people. Our people in general on the conservative side barely call their own elected officials, let alone the Democrats. I mean, our side don't even think about calling Democratic elected officials and burning up their phone line because they give up before they even start. And here's why it's important not only to call your Republican elected official and express your frustration or your support for whatever bill they are introducing. It is just as important and even more important to apply pressure on the Democrats as well and burn up their phone lines. The reason why our Republican conservative elected officials have no spine and they sway with the wind is because they are bombarded. They take punches all the time. They get phone calls. They get emails. They get lefties showing up at their town hall meetings and confronting them and, and asking them the tough questions. And that's why our people shy away because they are bombarded on every level. The Democrats are not even threatened, they're not bombarded, they're not asked, they're not even really put in a corner and, 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 and put under pressure to answer questions because we don't call them. But the reason why you need to call the Democrats as much as you call the Republicans is because they need to hear enough squeaking coming out of your tire, enough squeaking coming out of you so that they can go to leadership because you give them cover so they can go to the leadership in Congress and they can say, look, I just got 10,000 phone calls and emails from people in my district saying they're going to throw me out of office if I vote with you on this issue. I can't do that. I'm going to lose my seat next election. Now, you don't want me to do that, do you? That's why I have to vote against you on this issue. They need to hear and feel the pressure, the same pressure that they put on the on Republican elected officials. They need to feel it on the Democratic side. And so when you have organizations like CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, 
nations, which is constantly calling Republicans, constantly applying pressures on Republicans, constantly attacking Republicans, posting on their social media, signing petitions against them, sending emails against them. You know, elected officials on our side just cave. The Democrats, also, they're listening to CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, the unindicted conspirator in the largest terrorism trial in American history. But because of the way they message and the way they call all the time, elected officials listen to them. So we need to do the same. So I encourage people to go to our website, actforamerica.org. Actforamerica.org and click on Take Action and sign up to receive our emails and action alerts so you can be notified when there is a bill coming down for a vote. So you can call your elected official and let them know your um where you stand, we give you the name of the bill. We write an email for you. We write the petition for you. We write the Facebook post for you. We write the social media post for you. We write the Twitter post for you. You don't even have to think. We, 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 we write it for you with one click. All this will be sent to your elected officials. If you don't want to call them, you can email them, sign the petition. If you want to call them and let them hear your voice, we even give you their phone number and you can call them directly out of your computer right after you send them an email and sign a petition. That's called activism one-on-one. Go to actforamerica.org, uh, click on take action, and, and, and sign up to get our emails or start a group in your community. If there is no group in your community, join a group in your community so together we can make a difference. Brigitte, that is, that is wonderful, and that's what people need to do. But I hear... People listening, some people saying, I hear you, Brigitte, but hey, uh, I just don't understand what the problem is. I mean, I know I have Muslims that are going to, you know, uh, school with my kids and I know Muslim families and and everybody. People seem very peaceful. And, you know, Islam is just another religion, isn't there? Islam, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, you got all these religions. I I don't see them bother anybody. And they think these bin Laden types, these radicals. The Taliban and uh, Al Qaeda and Hamas, yeah, they're, they're radical. They're, they're really not part of what Islam really is about. At least that's what I'm being told, and what my kids are being taught in school. What do you say to them? We're talking about two different things. We're talking about jihadists, not about Muslims. There are Muslims in America who don't speak a word of Arabic. Look how many Black Muslims are in the United States. The nation of Islam. How many people speak Arabic who belong to the nation of Islam? How many black Americans in the United States who call themselves Muslims can read the Quran in Arabic? They are good people. They just wanted it for the structure. They like being identified because it's an African religion. I want to belong to that religion because it's good. It gives me structure, and that's what I need in my life. And they became Muslims. Look at Muhammad Ali, one of the most famous black Muslims in the world. Was Muhammad Ali a jihadist? Of course not. So we're not talking about all Muslims. So yes, you can have a wonderful neighbor who is a Muslim. We're not talking about that person. They can invite you to dinner. They can invite you to um, their kids' baseball games. They can be involved working in your community. These are not the people we are talking about. You know, I have a big philosophy. Trust but verify. You know, God bless President Reagan. Trust but verify. You can be kind to people. You can respect people. You can be 
courteous to people, but always make sure you are on the lookout when you are uh, uh, driving down the street and you see somebody out of place taking pictures of a building or a national monument or a bridge. This is, after all, how we were able to file a lot of attack because just good citizens, um, like the guys who stopped uh, Zazi, who parked his car in the middle of town square, uh, a good uh, a vendor actually next to the car saw a car running in Times Square, nobody in it, with smoke coming out of it with the keys in it. And he called the authorities. So there's a difference between identifying jihadists and warning about the ideology that is driving jihadists and talking about your next door neighbor. And I think this is where the Republicans fail to make the distinction and that's where the Democrats attack all Republicans of being racists and bigots and Islamophobes. And by the way, they're going to call you an Islamophobe. If you're talking about Muhammad Atta, they're going to call you an Islamophobe. Muhammad Atta, the ringleader of the 9-11, for those who may be too young who are listening to us right now who don't even know Muhammad Atta was. So you could be talking about the ringleader of the 9-11 attack, and people will still call you an Islamophobe because this is how effective the Muslim lobby has become and, and the good job that they have done. And this is how uh, politically correct we are as a society uh, not to offend anybody uh, or talk about an uncomfortable subject. But we are to the point in our country where it doesn't matter what label they slap at you. You know, when the left cannot argue you facts with you, they throw a label at you. Um, if you are anti, uh, if you are for secure borders, you are a bigot who are anti-immigrants. Well, no, we're not anti-immigrants. I'm an immigrant. I immigrated to this country legally. I want everybody who are who is able to come to the United States to come here legally. I am anti-criminals who break the law to get here, bringing diseases with them and endangering the rest of us. There's a big difference between the two. I understand what you're saying. And as far as the common person, how can they tell the difference between one and the other? In other words, how how is a, a, a person supposed to identify somebody that you may think would be a, a, a terrorist threat or a threat to the neighborhood or the, or the nation? You know, they, they're not going to just wear a T-shirt and say, hey, I'm a terrorist. Right. And that's why we cannot be prejudiced against our neighbors, because there is no way we can identify them. This is why we need to pass laws and make sure that the FBI will be able to monitor mosques if they suspect somebody is doing something bad in a mosque. The FBI should be able to go interview people and mark people on the no-fly list. The Pentagon should be able to have speakers who educate about the ideology. Uh, so our people who are dealing with the terrorist threat to work with the counter terrorism task force are able to understand the signs are able to understand what is the ideology how do the adherents behave where are they most likely to coordinate with um we need to uh, uh tighten up our uh, uh security operations we need to make sure that instead of just getting everybody at an airport take your shoes off take your belts off take this off take that off our our tsa need to be able to identify people or monitor people based on their men and behavior, not just because everybody needs to take their belts off and their shoes off. Um, letting a, 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 a somebody pass in a burqa uh, with just literally kind of a little tapping on the side uh, while you take a little old 85-year-old nun and uh, in a wheelchair and make her go through TSA screening by patting and take this off and take that off is absolutely ridiculous. You cannot just, um, you know, 
uh, profile people just because they are randomly were selected by the computer uh, to be uh, to go through extra screening. Our TSA people need to be better trained. They need to be able to identify people or, or, or identify a threat based on mannerism and behavior, not name, not look, um, etc. So we can have the same laws. We can have laws being tightened up, tightened up, and our counterterrorism should be able to do their job. Uh, but you, the average citizen, there's no way you can identify or even know whether your neighbor is engaged in something or not. Do you think part of the problem is the Muslim Brotherhood has infiltrated our agencies to the extent that they're what how agents are being trained to identify terrorist threats, a lot of threats that should be considered terrified, uh, uh, should be considered threats aren't being being considered terrified threats because they're saying, well, these people are peaceful. Uh, that's right. Uh, the people are not uh, allowed to train uh, uh, those who are responsible to protect us because of political correctness. Look, if you remember the brothers, the Boston bombers, the FBI turned over, the, 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 I think it was the Russians, turned over to us a transcript of the two brothers discussing jihad, and especially the younger one discussing jihad with his mother. And our FBI completely discounted it because, well, jihad is, uh, is a personal struggle because this is what they have been taught, that it's a personal struggle. They didn't even analyze uh, or put the Farniyev brother under scrutiny or under investigation because jihad supposedly is an inner struggle to be a better person. This is the blind leading the blind, and that's where we need to overcome that. We need to understand that we've got to be able to identify, we've got to be able to speak freely, and this is where we get into freedom of speech. We've got to be able to speak freely about issues threatening our countries, even though those issues are going to be offending some people. I mean, freedom of speech is all about offending others. Uh, that's why we have freedom of speech. Uh, other countries don't have that. We do not want to live in a tyranny. We want to live in a nation where we can exchange ideas. And by the way, I blame the Republicans. It was actually President Bush who initiated the Muslim Initiative Program after 9-11. Um, and that's what gave a pass to Muslim radicals who are Muslim Brotherhood members to infiltrate and be hired legally by our president and appointed by President Bush into the Pentagon, into the FBI, into the CIA, into the State Department, because President Bush thought that if we bring Muslims and Muslim Americans and work with them, uh, they will be able to give us information because they're more loyal to the United States than they are loyal to those jihadists. Little did he know and understand that a Muslim's loyalty to, to his fellow Muslim is greater than his loyalty to any man-made state. Um, and that's how they were able to infiltrate our government. I hear you. Brigitte, in closing, please tell people what they can do and what you have been speaking about, what we need to do at America. Shout the trumpet loud so people understand what you want of them. And then please tell us how they can reach you. Because of the fall of Afghanistan into the hands of the Taliban, we now are facing threat greater than what we faced before 9-11-2001. Right now, Islamic terrorism is going to come back to the forefront. Uh, we need to be engaged. We need to be informed. I encourage people to go to actforamerica.org. 
actforamerica.org and join us. Sign up to get our emails and action alerts. We are involved in so many things. Critical race theory. Act for America has helped pass nine critical race theory bills in different states. And now we are working on critical race theory bills in 20 states. Uh, we passed election integrity bills in four states. And now we are working on election integrity bills in another 13 states. We have so many action items that you can be involved in that will secure the country, not just radical Islamic terrorism, but also many other threats. Go to actforamerica.org, check us out, and go to Act for Now, take action now, and click um, on all the petitions. You'll be able to see all the bills that we are involved with. I thank you very much. And, you know, this is so important. It, it, it's very important. And people have to understand we're sleeping on this one, wouldn't you say, because we haven't been hit. Uh, and, and it's to me the grace of God that we haven't because evil is always trying to do its thing. Just in closing, just address the threat one more time and let people know that this is something that they, we just can't sleep on. The greatest threat to America right now is coming from the inside. And it is not just radical Islamic terrorism. At this point, that's the least of our concern. The threat to America right now is coming from China. It's coming from Iran. It's coming from Russia. It's coming because of a weak America. And this is why we need to rise up. This is why we need to come together. We need to work together. The time for being educated is over. We're not lacking education. We're lacking what to do with what the information that we have and how we can make a difference. A lot of people tell me, Brigitte, I know the problem. I just do not know what to do to fix it. We are the organization that tells you what to do when you need to fix the problem. Go to actforamerica.org and join us. We named the organization Act for America. Not think about America, not wish for America, not hope for America, not pray for America. You can do all the above and you should, but without taking action, nothing happens. If you are tired of just being educated about the problem from think tanks and educational foundation who send you email educating you about the problem, if you're tired of just the education and you want to do something about it, go to actforamerica.org and join us so together we can make a difference for our country. Thank you very much, Brigitte. Thank you for coming on and keep that fire, keep that flame going because we need more warriors like you. God bless you and your family and you're always welcome to come back on the show. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Brigitte Gabriel, everybody. And, uh, you know, we've been blessed because uh, you, you hear people chanting death to America, Allah Akbar, you, you, you know all these things. And it's kind of been pushed to the, to the background because there's so many other things that she's saying, <clears throat> like China, you know, we, we have to deal with Iran and everything, but we, we've got to keep all these things on the table because they're all important to the sovereignty of this nation. So this is another cog in the attempt to overthrow this country from within, and it has to be dealt with right here, right now. To me, there are three elements that I call the unholy trio. Element number one, political correctness. Element number two, the disingenuous mainstream media. Element number three, liberalism. When we go back and think about the goals of the naked communist, the book written in 1958, remember again, goal number 17, get control of the schools, 
use them as transition belts for socialism, soften the curriculum, get control of teachers associations. There are two great movies that were produced, directed, and starred in by Curtis Bowers. Agenda, Grinding America Down, and Agenda 2, Masters of the Seat. I recommend you see them both. This is what Curtis said in Agenda 2, Masters of Deceit. Quote, we showed the film Agenda. Then afterwards, as I was answering questions, a man stood up and said, I want to congratulate you in your research and how you found all the socialist communist influences that have changed America. My hat's off to you. And I said, thank you, sir. But then he stopped and I could tell something was coming. He said, I want to tell you something. I'm a professor at this college. I am a communist and we will win because we're taking all your children. And then he walked out. A woman in the front row who was crying said, how could he be at our little community college? I said, ma'am, he's in every school in America. Curtis Bowers from his DVD, Agenda 2, Masters of Deceit. Well, my next guest is certainly not a communist. To the contrary, my next guest is the voice of reason. And one of the things I love about Professor Nicholas Giordano, who teaches right here on Long Island at Suffolk Community College or Suffolk County Community College, is that he puts everything on the table and forces his students to think. He doesn't just give them one side and completely disavow the other. He doesn't give them the other side and play like the other side doesn't exist. He wants you to think. Professor Giordano is recognized and well-respected for his analysis. He's appeared on radio and television shows, including Fox News. He has his own podcast. It's called the PAS Report, and he will tell you more about what he does and why. I am glad to bring to the show Professor Nicholas Giordano. Thank you for having me on, Gary. Glad to be here. And I, I, I'm glad to have you, and you are, to me, the voice of reason. So what I'd like you to do, first off, since I just called liberalism a resident evil, most people, maybe like me when I was young and dumb, thought, hey, being liberal is a good thing. That means you open up your mind and you take everything in and you listen to a little over here and you listen to a little over there, and then you make your decision about which direction you want to follow. Please start off by telling the people, is there a problem with liberalism? And if so, what is it? Well, see, you weren't naive when you were younger. It's liberalism when you were younger wasn't actually a bad thing. Now, they were suspicious of government. They were skeptical of government. They wanted more oversight over government. They fought against government abuse. They wanted uh, freedom of speech. They respected opinions of all other people. The only difference between a liberal and a conservative when you go back is mainly the size of government, where liberalism, the liberals of the past, believe that government needs to do more to help those that they feel are down on their luck, the downtrodden of society, and that we need to enable massive entitlement programs. Where conservatives feel limited government, we can provide some support, but people are responsible for their own lives, they're responsible for their own destinies, it's based on the individual. Unfortunately, we've seen this massive shift, we've seen some change within liberalism, and so I refer to it more 
as leftism because that's where it's become this Marxist totalitarian ideology where it's no longer about keeping government in check and watching out for government abuses. It's actually empowering government to control all aspects of life, including things like speech, including things like freedom of thought. And that's the dangers that we're seeing today. And this has evolved over the course of the last 20 years at a pace that I didn't foresee happening this quickly. None of us did. Nobody saw anything happening this quickly. It looks like we've gone from zero to 60 in an overnight minute. However, please fill the audience in on the underlying fact that this has been a movement that has been uh, more than 75 years, even if you just want to go back to Gramsci and the Frankfurt School and everything that came through the colleges, which we will get into, that this, they've been moving this football and pushing this agenda for a long time. And it just seems to me they, they reached a point in which they had so much in place that now they're going for it. Yeah, well, the thing is, so the college campuses have been infected for a long time with this idea of leftism. And it used to be, if you spoke to old school college professors, because I had plenty of liberal professors, uh, I had plenty of them. I had some communist professors. But the old school professors were a little bit different, where they still appreciated at least what the founding fathers did. They believed in communism, believed that we actually have a communist system, but they liked the idea that the founding fathers fought back against, you know, King George and then. But now we have this whole generation of educators out there that believe their opinion is what should be taught in the classroom. Not, not the facts. Their opinion should be taught in the classroom. And that all students must adhere to their opinion because they think they know it all. They got the PhDs and they're smarter than everyone else. My semester just started. And I told the, my students, each and every student, I announced in all the classes I teach that it's not my job to make you believe what I believe. It's not my job to tell you what to think about the issues. In fact, it's not any professor's job. You are entitled to your own belief system. I will push you and I will challenge you on the things you say in this classroom. But you are entitled to have any opinion you want. You're entitled to say whatever you want, as long as you're respectful. That's all I care about. Unfortunately, there's too many educators that look at it from the perspective of, no, they need to indoctrinate the kid. Now, when it happens at the college level, it's a serious problem especially given that these people are going to graduate and they're going to go into the business community. They're going to go into the medical community and they're going to affect that ideology and all these different industries they're going into. But we've seen something even more nefarious. See, it's not enough to try and indoctrinate young adults, young adults, while they shouldn't be indoctrinated. The reality is they, they can think for themselves. They can push back if they want to, they can be brave and bold and speak out. But now we're seeing it affect K through 12, making the situation 10 times more dangerous because those children as young as kindergarten and first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade. Well, they don't know how to critically think. They don't know how to push back on opinions as opposed to facts. And, and we see this indoctrination take place where they're pushing off their opinions as facts. And this is going to have a disastrous consequence going forward. Now, the good news is that parents are starting to wake up to what their children are learning about. The good news is that the one silver lining of the coronavirus is that parents were able to hear teachers pushing this crap on their children. And a lot of parents are now speaking up and speaking out against it. Well, you know, I have to ask this question because 
Uh, this boggles my mind. Okay, parents understand for, for the last 15, 20, 30, you can go back. They understand basically a lot of these schools are Marxists. So let me get this straight. You're going to take forty to $80,000 a year. When I went to Ohio University back in the early 70s and an out-of-state student from New Jersey, it was only 4000 a year. They're going to take forty to $80,000 a year to send their kid to a school that they know they're going to get a Marxist indoctrination and then wonder why they come out with a woke kid who's telling their parents, you're a racist and I'm disowning you. Please explain this. <laughs> It doesn't make much sense when you actually think about it from that perspective. Why are you going to invest all this money to have your child brainwashed? It really doesn't seem like it's worth the investment. What's happened, though, is we, we constantly reinforce this idea that you got to get a piece of paper. And if you don't have this piece of paper, then you're not going to be successful in life. And so parents have come to the conclusion, instead of teaching children trades and saying, you know, the pathway to a good education is actually getting an education, not getting indoctrinated. They bought into this and they spent all this money on college. Now, community colleges, which I teach at, they usually get chunked at, you know, people make fun of them. They say the 13th grade and all this other stuff. And I, I ask people and they start to talk like that. Just look at all the so-called experts that went to Harvard and Yale and other schools out there who've been wrong on just about every major foreign policy and domestic policy agenda item that exists, what are these schools really doing? I mean, just because they got a nice name, just because they got large endowments, why are you going to waste money sending their children there? Like I would much rather prefer sending my kids to a community college for three or $4,000 for the year, as opposed to spending $50,000 for my child to be indoctrinated with liberal beliefs that go against the core values of what I stand for. I understand exactly what you're saying. And now let's blow some people's minds. Okay. And then you can explain how the heck this happened. I'm going to give you the original mottos of Ivory League schools, of Ivy League schools. When these schools were founded, and you can look at the crest, this is what the mottos were. Brown University, the motto was, in God we trust. Columbia, in thy light shall we see the light. Dartmouth, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Harvard, you ready for this, people? This is going to blow your mind. <laughs> truth, veritas, truth. Harvard, can you believe that? Penn, laws without morals are useless. Princeton, under God's power she flourishes. And Yale, light and truth. Professor Giordano, what the heck happened? What happened was that people with traditional beliefs moved away from the public sector and ignored the public sector and allowed left-wing ideology to reign supreme. First, they infiltrated the academic institutions, then they infiltrated all the local uh, official positions, the Board of Educations, the PTAs. And when we look at it, you know, in, in this day and age, it's really hard for parents because both parents are working. So it's not like, you know, you go back 40 years ago where one parent would sit and do homework with the kid and everything. Parents are very busy in this day and age. So people on the right tended to ignore what was going on. And we have this silly belief that things will normalize on its own, and that it can't get too crazy. Sooner or later, there's going to be a pushback. Sooner or later, things are going to get back to normal. The rubber bands are going to snap. 
you don't realize that nothing gets back to normal unless you go out there and get involved and get on these school boards, get involved in the college education system, run for local office, get involved in the polling stations and become a volunteer. These are all things that we have largely shunned as a society. And so it's allowed this fringe minority, because I do still believe they're a minority. I mean, if they're not a minority, God help us, we're doomed. But I do still believe that they are a fringe minority, but they're the loudest voices. And that's why they get things done. Just look at California. You speak to almost any Californian, they're not going to say they're satisfied with how things are going on and, and the conditions of the state. But yet, they'll constantly just reelect the same people. We just saw recently that Gavin Newsom, he won the recall. He's going to stay in power. Yeah. And, and so, why would people vote against what's in their interest? We live in New York. Since 2018, we've had a unified government. The situation has become a disaster. New York is a catastrophe. And so I would make the argument to people, see what happens when you sit on the sidelines. This is what happens. If you want to vote just by, based on political party, you're going to get this far left machine that's never going to end and it's only going to get worse. We have to wake up. We have to realize that it's not going to change without people getting involved. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. Now, one of the one of the things that you do, you get involved right away from day one in your classes. So I would like for you to explain to the people, and this is a twofold question. First, let us know what is the, here we are in Suffolk County, New York. Well, the kids can come from all over, but the college is out in Suffolk County on Long Island. What is the pervasive attitude of the majority of the students that come into your class? And by the way, you should tell people what you teach. And number two, tell them about the communists, the, the test that you give them about the United States Constitution right off the bat, that's an eye-opener. Well, they work one and the same. So every semester I teach American politics and international politics. And every semester, the first day of the class, I've seen how students have become a lot more opinionated, particularly when it comes to the issue. I've seen how students be, have become extraordinarily close-minded, but like many Americans out there, not just younger people, but older people are close-minded as well. And so I feel I have to set the tone early. And in order to set the tone early, what I do is I give them a citizenship exam. And this semester, so I teach seven sections, you got about 240 students. I had two people pass the citizenship exam. Wow. Right there, right off the bat, I set the tone because I asked them, you know, you have all these opinions on all these different issues. Yet you, don't, you can't even explain the basic functions of our government. You don't even know what institutions are responsible for what, the roles and responsibilities of the institution. So how can you say government should or shouldn't do anything when you don't even know the basic premise, premise of government? And, and it actually sets a nice tone because they realize that they don't know a lot. And so it makes them more open-minded. It makes them ready to listen. It engages them right away. And they're not going to be so combative when you try and bring up points. One of the things I harp on throughout this message is the founding fathers, the ideas of liberty and freedom. And so instead of getting the response, well, all the founding fathers were racist, well, now they're ready to listen to me. Second thing I do is I give them the Constitution. It's the Russian Constitution. I just replaced Russian Federation with the United States. I replaced the word Duma, which is the Russian legislative branch with Congress. And make the students read it, write two paragraphs on it, on what they think of the document. And 
once again, you're only going to get two or three students that say, hey, this isn't the United States Constitution. Most of them are going to go along and talk about how brilliant of a document it is. Now, the Russian Constitution was developed in 1991 after the collapse of the Soviet Union. It starts off right off the bat. You should know it's not the United States Constitution because it starts off by saying we the multinational people, not we the people, we the multinational people. So that should be a dead giveaway right there. It talks about things like retirement benefits and pensions and health care benefits, where none of that's in our Constitution. Our Constitution is not an ideological document. It's a mechanics guide to how the government operates. Yet the students don't know it. And I asked them, you've been in school for at least 12 years now. And Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, you've never really read them. Maybe in younger years you read bits and pieces of them. Don't you see that that's a problem in the education system? I mean, shouldn't an education system be able, students be able to know the founding documents of this country, be able to understand the founding documents, and that by the time they get to a college course, they could start talking about theory of governance as opposed to going back to the basics? And so it really opens their mind. And I would say community college, the the students are much more open-minded because they're not monolithic peoples. If you go to a four-year university system, it's like a bubble. Everyone kind of has the same background. They come from almost the same type of economic situation, the same type of family structure and whatnot. Community colleges are different. You got people that have children they need to take care of, elderly parents they need to take care of. Some of the students we deal with are homeless. Other students have to work full time. Other students are well off, but their parents made the right decision by sending them to community college first. So you get a bunch of different perspectives because everyone has different issues going on in their lives. And that's where you get a much more diverse mix of thought. 40% of my students are probably Democrat, 40% are probably Republican, 20% care less either way. And I think that that's the ratio that we'd like to see. Well, I got a question right right here and right now. That's how they come into the class <laughs> when they leave. What is the, uh, is it still 40, 40, 20? I hope it's changed at least a little bit. Well, once again, that's the beauty of my class. I, I don't sit there. They may change in their own personal beliefs after my class, but I don't sit there to figure out if they're liberal or conservative or Democrat or Republican. I teach them the structures of government. I give them the information they need, and I tell them that they're smart enough to come to their own conclusions. And I know I opened some of their eyes because I've had plenty of liberal students, plenty of students on the left, that will thank me at the end of the semester. They're still on the left, but they'll actually thank me that they appreciated the course, they appreciated the dialogue, that they did learn things, and that they are more open-minded than they used to be. And that's how I know I succeeded. Now, I also get tons of students that come to me when they have problems with other professors because there are other professors that do try and indoctrinate and will actually yell at students if they have a a diverse opinion, if they deviate from whatever the professor is saying. That's a big problem to me. And I explain to the student, you know, you are limited in what you could do. You could either put your head down, just go along with whatever the professor is saying and try and get a good grade in that class, or you could stand up for yourself. You could speak out. And... At least you'll have your integrity. Your grade may take a hit or two. I mean, my grades took a little bit of hit when I was getting my college degree because I constantly battled with some of my professors. But guess what? The quality of my work, they couldn't really take off too much points on that one because the quality of my work was outstanding. 
And I was able to walk away saying that I didn't have to sacrifice my pride and integrity to get that good grade. And if you don't speak out now, then when are you going to speak out? Then you're going to get a job and you're going to say, well, I can't speak out now because I don't want to get fired from my job. And there's always an excuse not to speak out. Unfortunately, in the United States, we want things to come easy, but things don't come easy. We have to speak up and fight for the things that we want. I hear you. And I want to ask you this question. There's so much indoctrination now by people who are listening to, you know, the mainstream media, which I call the disingenuous mainstream media. And there's so much anger and just people just so tunnel vision. Like if you like Trump, you're racist or you're evil or this or that, or the other thing. Do you have an issue with kids coming in the class actually challenging you because they think there's something wrong with your point of view that you're actually even putting another point of view on the table. Like 20 years ago, that would have been unheard of. But now do you have to defend your position to some of these students that would call you, you're, you're a racist for even trying to teach me to think. You know, I, I smack those uh, things down pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have a man over the classroom. So, Whenever they try that, I smack it down pretty quick because one of my first responses is always going to be, think back to your citizenship exam. None of you passed the citizenship exam. You want to dictate to me about complex issues? You want to tell me? If you can't understand the basic functions of government, how am I supposed to take you seriously when you're talking about a complicated subject like uh, you know, education or healthcare or climate change or any of that other stuff. How am I supposed to take you seriously if you don't even understand the basic concepts of government? And so I smack it down pretty quick. I also tell them that there's a difference between facts and opinions. You're entitled to your own opinion. You're not entitled to your own facts. And the problem that we have in the United States is that everything has been dumbed down to a point where we try and oversimplify everything as if a policy is either good or bad, as if things are just black and white. They don't realize that there's a whole gray area. No matter what policy we talk about, if it's a left-wing policy or right-wing policy, there are going to be benefits, there are going to be drawbacks, and you have to see what outweighs which and put it based on the system that we have. And so once again, I, I open their eyes for them to understand that things are much more complicated than they seem. And one of the exercises I do in my class, because of course students love universal education, universal health care, and blah, blah, blah. I'll put the numbers on the board. Here's our budget. Here's what we take in in tax revenue each year. Here's what we spend each year. Here's what we spend it on. Here's how much a universal health care system is going to cost. Find me the number. You find me how we're going to get that number to pay for it. It's not me being biased. You can't have everything. There's give and take, and so you're going to have to sacrifice certain things to have this universal health care system. So please find me what you're going to be cutting to get us to this number. And when you, should I cut education? No, you can't cut education. Should I cut immigration? No, you can't cut that. Should, okay, so then how are we going to get to the health care numbers? We slashed the defense budget in half. It still leaves us $1.7 trillion short of where we need to get to. And once again, it shows them how complicated things are, that if things were that simple as people try and make them out to be, a lot of these things would have been done already. I, I understand what you're talking about. And you definitely, one of the reasons I love talking to you, Professor Giordano, I, I know you know what you're talking about. So please tell people how you know what you're talking about, because just like everybody else, just like I have a journey, you 
have a journey. And it didn't start with you being this genius uh, college professor that you are right now. It started like you just being a kid and in high school. So tell them, take them down your path, how you went from who you were to who you are. Listen, if, if you go back to my high school days, nobody would have suspected I would have became a college professor. Not even me. I wouldn't have believed you if you told me I was going to be a college professor. In fact, I wasn't that great of a student in high school. And I took a year off after high school. And then I started my academic career at a community college. And I had professors that really pushed me. And I found that I liked to be pushed. I liked the challenges. And they taught me how to research, how to look for information, how to validate and provide evidence to support my positions. And it was hard work in college. I'm not going to sit here and deny that. It was a lot of work. And I read, I read constantly, but I didn't just read stuff that validates my opinion. I didn't just read sources that agrees with my point of view. I constantly read things that went against my point of view because it's much more important to be able to know what the other side, what their argument's going to be and what they're going to tell you than it is for you to be able to defend your own positions. I could argue anything from a left point of view, or right point of view because I know what their arguments are going to be. And then I know how to counter their arguments. I know how to find the defects within their arguments and asking questions is the best way to do things. Because when you pose certain questions and you're debating someone, once they can't answer the questions, they lose the debate. And that's the thing. So it takes years of practice and skill and reading and understanding and researching in, in order to get to the level where I'm at, where I'm comfortable talking about most policy issues, most government issues. And here's the key. I don't know everything. It's impossible to know everything. And when a student says something and I can't give them an answer, I'm honest with them. I tell them that I don't know, that I would have to look it up. Mm -hmm. I have to check it out. And that's the most important thing. I don't pretend to know it all. And I don't pretend that I have all the right arguments. And it's that honesty that allows students to gain a certain type of respect. I hear you. Now we've told everybody what's wrong with the system. How do we correct this or is it correctable? Is it correctable? That's a good question. I think we're starting to correct it. I think that watching parents go to your school board meetings in the K-12 system is a very important first step in the process. Parents have to get engaged. They have to know what their kids are learning and they have to push back when they know something isn't right, what they're being taught. Uh, another thing we have to do is we have to start putting pressure on state legislative bodies. The curriculums are out of control. The people that are developing these curriculums are out of control. And we have to get back to the core educational principles where it's really about understanding America. You know, we, we put all this focus on STEM technology and science and mathematics. But if you have kids in an education system, and they come out of that education system despising the country that they come from, how long is that country going to be able to survive? And so we have to reinstill an appreciation, a love of country again. Understand our, the totality of our history, both the good and bad. Appreciate the progress that we've made when it comes to issues like race. Acknowledge them. Show the greatness of them. And still teach the bad aspects of American history. We can't run away from that. See, that's the difference between us and the far left. They want to teach lies. They want to teach that America is inherently evil, that it's a, a system that was developed just for racism and slavery. Those are all lies. We have to acknowledge 
racism and slavery. But we also have to understand that we've made such progress when it comes to race. We are the most unique nation on the planet where we have all these different peoples with all these different backgrounds that can come together and coexist together. No other country has that out there. There's a reason that everyone wants to get to the United States. They don't want to go to European countries. Their final destination is America. There's a reason for that. And, and we need to start getting appreciation. So you got to get parents involved. you got to get the state legislative bodies involved. And then people that have real education and really dedicated and care about education, those are the ones we want teachers. We don't want people that think that they can just dictate and indoctrinate. You want real educators in the classroom, which means a whole slew of people have to consider going into the field of education instead of going to make millions of dollars in the business world or other industries out there where they can make a lot more money. You know, people, anybody within the sound of our voices, you just got a free education from a very, very wise man. I thank you, Professor Giordano, for coming on and enlightening us on this topic. Please tell people about your PAS report, where they can hear it, and anything else that you would like to promote. Sure. I mean, they could go to PASReport.com. That's where I put all the show transcripts up. You can listen to the podcast there or you go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast. There's links all over to get to listen to the podcast. And my podcast is both educational where we focus on the issues, but I also link it back to the founding fathers and the original intent of the founding fathers. So it's an informative podcast. And this is what we need to do. We need to begin to educate the masses, begin to open people's eyes and show them what the left has done to this country and what we need to do to restore it, to bring it back to its founding principles. This is very important. And because it starts with these kids, because this is the next generation, everybody. When you're looking at millennials and when you're looking at the people that you think are from Mars or straight out of the twilight zone, these are people that were in high school, were in college, and look at them now. We've got to get them early, and we've got to flip the script, change this around while we still have time to do so. Professor Giordano, you're always welcome to come back when you're on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. There you have it, Professor Nicholas Giordano. And uh, one of the problems, people, that we didn't get into is the teachers union, the National Education Association. From the movie, Agenda Grinding America Down, which I recommend you get these DVDs, Agenda Grinding America Down and Agenda Two Masters of Deceit, movies by Curtis Bowers. This is what he said about the teachers union. Quote, if you look at their platform and goals, you would think they're socialist or communist organizations. Therefore, the entire feminist agenda, starting with abortion on demand, tax-funded abortions. Therefore, the whole gay rights agenda. Therefore, the globalism agenda. They're extremely anti-parent. It is, an, it, it is an effort to get the children to abandon the values of their parents. NEA, which is National Education Association, has no patience tolerance or use for traditional teachers. They're looking for people who want to be agents of change. They want to throw out all the lessons of history. Really, it's an attempt to impose their own views and ideas onto people, get them to act as activists. 
We also see immorality being promoted through our schools, the kind of sex ed curriculum that's being used and paid for with our tax dollars, which shock most parents. I think one of the main problems we face is parents naively thinking that the schools are the same today as when they were young. They don't realize there is a battle going on in this country for the hearts and minds of our children. And that DVD wasn't released this year. It wasn't released two years ago. It was released in 2012. So if the problem was that bad in 2012, look at where it is now. This is something people we have to deal with right here, right now, while we still have time to do so. I want to thank my guests, Trevor Loudon, Brigitte Gabriel, and Professor Nicholas Giordano for shining the light of truth on these factions obsessed with turning America into a nation you wouldn't want to live in. Socialism, or even worse, communism here? I say not in our America. Not on our watch. No way, no shape, no how. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you had a great time hanging out with us. This podcast is available for download on your favorite podcast platform or on RadioInfluence.com. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. So until next Tuesday, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America. 